Overcoming Suicide Ideation and PTSD in a Unique Way and Leveraging the Power of TikTok with Dylan Sessler, the author of Defy the Darkness, on episode number 217 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. When that moment happened that I found out that that he was gone, that he had unfortunately passed, and my mom was honest with me, she, she told me it was suicide. The guilt and the regret hit me first, right? It was the, It was that moment where I felt responsible. This is Melissa Hughes, best-selling author, international speaker, TikTok guru, and a mama. I help people find their voice, grow their influence, and their business through social media. You're on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, helping people crush adversity and succeed in life. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful. And this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello, good people. And uh, indeed, welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. What a pleasure and privilege to have you with me today as we continue in our journey to help you to grow through what you go through. This episode of Beyond Adversity is brought to you by the 40-Day Way. That's our coaching plan, which helps you to develop your own PLP, your personal life plan, which is your process, your written roadmap to get you from being stuck to having your life of peace and prosperity and purpose. Head on over to drbradmiller.com slash 40dayway for more information on that. Today we're going to be talking about some really heavy subjects in a unique manner. We're talking about PTSD and suicide ideation and mental health systems and veterans and how some people fall through the cracks of their situation of adversity, which has caused him such great stress in the mental health uh, system, as it were. There's a gap there. Our guest today is Dylan Sessler. He is a mental health coach, professional speaker. He is a pot. He's a podcast host of the Dylan uh, Experience, an entrepreneur. He's also a combat veteran and is the author of the book, Defy the Darkness, a story of suicide, mental health, and overcoming your hardest battles. He also is very involved with TikTok. And in his process of using TikTok, he has a daily TikTok where he shares his thoughts on mental health issues and suicide and PTSD. And his daily content has garnered millions of followers with his sincere approach uh, to things. And he's uh, just a relentless uh, pursuit to impact millions of lives. In our podcast today, you're going to hear his story of, uh, of being on the edge of suicide, his wartime experiences in Afghanistan, 
the life-changing injuries that he had and how he was on the brink of taking his life at age 25, but how he learned how to come back from all that process. You're going to learn his processes and learn about his unique take about how there is a way to address the adversity that we face and this gap between that and the mental health system, which he believes is there, and how what he talks about and conversation and helping to deal with the isolation and the misunderstoodness that people have, uh, there's ways to get through that. This is a fascinating and important discussion. If you're a veteran, if you're a person who has uh, suicidal thoughts, if you had experienced injury in your life, maybe you're a veteran, all these things can be spoken to in this podcast today. When we come back on the other side of the podcast, we're going to talk about some practical applications for your life. Our guest today on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, Dylan Sessler. We have an, an awesome guest with us, uh, with us today. His name is Dylan Sessler, and he comes to us with an incredible story to tell about his own life experiences, some of them very, very, very dramatic, and we'll get into those details. I'll let him share those with you. I will share with you that he's an active duty military serving in the National Guard, and he is the author of the book, Defy the Darkness, a story of suicide, mental health, and overcoming your hardest battles. Dylan Sessler, welcome to Beyond Adversity. Thank you very much, Brad. I'm glad to be here. It is awesome to have you with us, and I do I do thank you for your continued service to our country and the National Guard, and that's a part of your story. I know that it is, and, and here on Beyond Adversity, we are all about helping people to navigate bad things that have happened to them, and some really challenging things have happened to you in your life, and, and then you found a way through them. So if you don't mind just sharing with us a little bit about your story, about some of the challenges that you have faced, that you particularly address in your book and so on. Certainly. Well, one of the one of the first parts of my book really discusses one of the most profound pieces of my adverse story, I, I would say. And that was the suicide of my father. I, I lost my father at six years old. So I was I was six years old, 1996. I believe my father was around 36 years old. And I just remember coming downstairs one morning, young kid, just not not really, you know, quite naive at the time. And I I saw him and he he looks at our the family and, and just I remember him talking about leaving and not being home that night, you know. And as he was speaking, I just I felt this overwhelming sensation that 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 pit in your stomach, you know, that, that feeling, that bad feeling you get when something just isn't right. You know, the, the words just weren't coming out right. Or I, I just felt all sorts of wrong. And then as a six-year-old child, right, what do you do about that? Well, for me, I, I cried and I grabbed him and I told him not to leave. And I, you know, begged and pleaded as much as I could, but he was, a, he was a large man, six foot seven. I'm, you know, three foot, whatever, at six years old, I was tiny. So he just, you know, kind of picks me up and sets me aside. And I remember that cliche moment of him walking out the door and, and taking that left to go to the car. And that was the last time I saw him. And the next morning, that's when we found out, or at least I found out that uh, we were going to my grandma's house. And when we got there is when I think my mom told me, and, and this is all kind of, you know, fairly recalled kind of kind of knowledge it's not necessarily confirmed you know because it, i was so young and it, it felt so traumatic at the time but when that moment happened that i found out that 
that he was gone, that he had unfortunately passed. And my mom was honest with me. She, she told me it was suicide. The guilt and the regret hit me first, right? It was the, it was that moment where I felt responsible. You know, I didn't say that to anybody because at six years old, I didn't know how to express that. And I, I certainly didn't understand how that would be received. You know, I, I was focused on the judgment, certainly, but later it became the shame, you know, because at the time in the 90s and even even after that, people looked at suicide very religiously. And certainly in my family, it, it, it was looked at religiously as a sin and, and a sin that would automatically send you to hell. And so I was told at a young age that my father was going to hell. And so not only was my guilt and my regret not enough, but it was also compounded by this this shameful kind of decision that my my father made. And so I was I was very lost, you know, at six, seven, eight years old. I was I was just absolutely, you know, heartbroken, destroyed, you know, all the things. And not only that, but I placed so much of my father's decisions on my shoulder to my as my burden to bury or a burden to bear. And and that clearly just, you know, held me underwater for, for many years. And as, as I moved through my life, I found myself, you know, my mom kind of moved on and found a new man. And he was a man that was, that was quite disciplined. He was, he was calculate, you know, calculating. He, he would hit me with a three-quarter inch leather belt, a Western style belt, because we lived on a horse ranch at that point for anything I did wrong. It didn't really matter how how good or bad it was. You know, it wasn't, you know, a, a minor infraction would still receive the same kind of punishment. It just would not be as many hits, right? She didn't know. She never knew. And so that was that was one of the interesting things is I never picked that up until well into my adulthood when me and my mom actually had the conversation about it. She never knew. And and what I remember and what I recall is whenever this would happen, I would go straight to my bed, um, my bedroom and my cry in my bed and no one would be there. Right. It was, it was, it was always, you know, as I recall, it was always those moments where nobody was there. Right. And my mom wasn't like that. And so it very much, it very much fits the narrative of if my mom had known she would have changed that that response she she wouldn't have allowed that because when she recognized that it was happening she left oh my goodness um, okay but it wasn't until many years later and and so when you know when that started to happen it really it really i think solidified my my inability to speak you know at, at the time when my dad died i i just stopped talking altogether it became very introverted very, very reclusive to a point where when i started getting hit and abused, I started to internalize pain, um, out of spite, right. Out of, out of anger for him. And I, I, I remember the first time looking back at him and just thinking to myself, hit me again. Right. I, I remember that so vividly. Some, some, some sort of way, embracing the pain yep. in, a, in a sense. Yep. And it, it almost yeah. to a point of, you know, what would later come as it's my responsibility to take pain. Right. And, okay. and so I did that. I, I, I internalized it at that point and then I spent more years kind of dealing with it. And by the time I was 13, 14, we had moved out. My mom had left that relationship, recognizing how how bad it was for, for us as children. And that's when, you know, high school comes around and I was bullied for for being thin, 
basically I was a, I was a twig and, and obviously that wasn't going to change with all the trauma that had forced me into this reclusive personality okay. that I was. And I, I kind of became a chameleon of sorts in high school to, to just survive and get by, right? Emotionally. And that's when I decided to join the military. And the reason I joined the military was very simply because as my dad had committed suicide, I brought myself to make rules, you know, simple rules for life of I'm not going to do alcohol. I'm not going to do tobacco. I'm not going to do drugs. All things that led to my dad's suicide as what I thought. But then the last one was very simple. I'm not going to commit suicide. And so that led me automatically to joining. Did you write these down or do anything along that line, journal or something like that? No, but they were always in my head. You know, these, these were... So it was a clear, what I'm getting at is a clarification for you. It wasn't just some sort of a fleeting thought. No. You, you were, these were clear, clear. These were my guiding principles through childhood, you know? Okay. And so I've, I'm 32 years old. I've been in the military for 14 years. I've never touched alcohol. I, even as a kid, I was like, my mom would offer rum cake. And I was, I was so fervently against the idea of alcohol that I looked at rum cake and was like, absolutely not. You know, okay. I've never, I've never touched drugs. I've never touched tobacco, which is absolutely against the against the norm not only in the infantry and the military but also in the state of Wisconsin which I'm from so it's mm-hmm. it, they were they were so powerful in my life that when it came to making a decision to join the military it was 100% because this shame and this guilt that I had conjured up after my father's death was powerful enough to say well, you're still thinking about suicide. So why don't you find somewhere to kill yourself with honor or to have someone do mm. it for you? And that's what I did. Okay. You know, I joined the military. Joined- kind of without putting uh, kind of a frame, uh, some people call something like an assisted suicide, yep. or I forgot the terminology yep. here. In, mili- in the police, you know, some people, uh, suicide by cop and things like it was right. sort of a form of that. Yep. Okay. And, and so I, I joined the infantry, right? And I, I joined the infantry during okay. 2008, which was, you know, right at the, the height of the war in Afghanistan and, and right after the height yes. of the war in Iraq. Okay. And so I was ready and willing, but I, I spent the next three or four years trying to get on any deployment that would go anywhere else to a country that was dangerous. When I finally joined an agribusiness development team that went to Afghanistan in 2012. And Afghanistan was the place that taught me more about life and death than I had ever learned through my father or through anything else. You yes. know, as a... It was a difficult place. It was a dark place. It was a simple place yet, you know, and and you learn so much and you see so much in that time and you feel so much, but nothing about it is allowed to be expressed because of war, because the nature of war is you can't cause problems to other people, you know, or that's what it feels like. And so, you know, I, I learned again, you know, only a confirmation of what I had been through before, I learned to bottle it up. I, I learned to keep it behind walls and keep it held under the pressure of, you know, of remaining silent. And so. So su- suppression was just a part of your life, wasn't yep. it? It is part of your everyday life milieu, if you yep. will. Okay. Yep. And it, and it came to a point of coming home. I started learning about PTSD and, and it, it was it was almost laughable because I found out about this diagnosis. I didn't I was never diagnosed with it, but I didn't have to be to know what I had been struggling through all my life of recognizing the trauma that that was my father's death, recognizing the abuse that I had been through, recognizing the bullying and recognizing the war that I had just 
you know, fought in hmm. all of these things said, I, I, I almost laughed when I recognized it the first time that I, I was dealing with. Now, I'm just curious, your diagnosis of PTSD, just for clarification for folks who may not know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Was that done through military circles, military doctors, or did you have to seek out help on your own? Or how did that manifest itself? So I've, I've never officially been diagnosed. And I, and I don't think I, I will. I don't think I need to. Um, because I, you just know. I, one, I, when I started learning about it, I didn't respect it at, at all. You know, I, I was taught that in, in demobilization for my deployment. And so I started learning it there, but I didn't respect it until 2015 when I almost ended my own life. Got to that point of, of extremely, you know, just so much emotion was bottled up and, and suppressed at that point that it all kind of filtered, you know, the filter stopped holding it all in. The dam just broke. And that's when I started actually looking at my life and, and understanding what was actually happening. I had to ask myself when I'm, when I'm sitting there with a the gun in my hand, why are you the way that you are? And when I started asking that question, I started seeing answers in my head and, and through my own conversations with myself that I was really uncomfortable with, you know, and I started looking at this, this concept of PTSD, this concept of trauma, this concept of all of these choices, not only made by myself, but by other people that kind of affected me and brought me to where I was then. And that's when I first started kind of giving credit to this understanding of trauma, this understanding of what, what is PTSD and how has it affected me. But more so, I gave credit to the understanding that I brought myself here. You know, I brought myself to this point and I allowed myself to continue to walk down this path of silence. And that's really where, you know, my, I think my book kind of dives into, into this idea of what it means to be silent and what it means to yeah. hold all of this stuff in. Because how I look at it realistically is that, you know, suicide isn't the problem, right? I, I don't think it's the, the thing that people need to address as the problem. It's the result of all of the problems, you sure. know, and it, well, it's the it's you're taking action, destructive action yeah. against the problem that's been built up over time right. and suppressed and so on. And then so here's my question for you. When you were was this key question you said you asked yourself, why uh, why am I am the way that I am? Was that the question that helped you decide to not take your own life? Or were there other factors? Were there other people involved? Were you with like, a, I don't know, a suicide hotline? Any other factors that came into play that kept you from making the destructive decision? Nope. That was it. That Just making the good, the good question that, that, or the, the question. Right. You know, I've, I've, always been, I've always been a thinker, right? You know, obviously it's, okay. it, it makes sense with my history and what I've been through. Um, and, and that, that step in that direction of recognizing just the reality of the moment I was in. Yeah. Well, what a profound story about your own family. And then there's, you know, I'm sure there's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of all this. And yet here's the, the, the profound reality is that you were a product of suicide and you considered it yourself and you had this introspective life going on that was being suppressed. And then you decide... So many people, though, Dylan, as you know, do get stuck, whether they take their own life or they do something destructive that ends their life or they do something else yep. that messes things up, they get stuck. And you, you've you chosen 
to share your story with other people. Through this format, you have a book, you have your own podcast, you have a, a TikTok channel, you have various ways that you are sharing. So my question to you now is that you asked yourself this important question, why am I am why I am why I am the way I am? Did I say that correctly? Pretty close, yeah. But the yeah, you asked yourself that question. So that's one important thing you did. What do you think were some of the key actions that you then took from that question? What'd you do then? What did you do about it after you asked yourself that question that put you on this track now of being productive and helpful to others? Well, I answered it. That was, you know, that was the first step. Number one is when you ask yourself right. a question awesome. like that, you've, you've got to have the willingness to be honest with yourself about it, you know, and that, that doesn't come with, without its own set of, you know, realities. Like that's a hard question to answer. And I, and I almost thank my I thank my life for building up the courage or maybe a, more appropriately the stubbornness to answer that question honestly because it was painful. You know, that's that's a remarkably painful question to answer. You know, when you really look at it and you start to recognize your own the the realities of your own choice to bring yourself to that, you know, because at some point it stops being someone else's fault and starts being your own. You know, and that's a that's a painful situation to sit with. And yeah. ultimately it came. I love what you said. I thank my life. Uh, exactly. And even your life was pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> Many would argue pretty bad at that yeah. point. And you still thanked your life. Right. And and it comes down to, it came down for me to the, I, the, the very, the, the glaring weakness throughout my life. And that was my inability to express myself, you know? And so what's, What's interesting, and I don't think I really realized it until quite recently, actually, is that I've put myself in a direct contradiction to who I've always lived my life as. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've done everything I can to work on that weakness, to face that weakness. I've written a book. I've put out a podcast. I've, I've stepped out onto a platform that requires you to literally express yourself. That's TikTok. I go on podcasts and I talk about this subject. I even feel this subject, right? Sometimes it's not all, it's not all episodes that I come on where I'm just eloquently expressing this stuff simply. Sometimes I'm actually feeling it, right? It just depends on the day. Sometimes sure. It depends on the question or the how deep I dive into this subject. And well, we sometimes we really don't know what triggers that emotional yeah. response. It could be a song on the radio or something somebody says, or you know, a picture on the wall. Any number of things can trigger that. Yeah. And and, and yeah. I've so I hear at least at least a couple of things I'm hearing here that you did. You you recognized it. You claimed yep. it. You claimed the pain. And that's so huge right there. That is enormous, as you know, because it seems to me just getting to know you just a little bit here today, Dylan, that you were this quite introspective. Maybe people maybe even described you perhaps as brooding or I don't know, any number of things like that could Certainly. have been done. I don't know if I'm correct or not. I don't want to be too presumptuous to assume here, but I'm assuming that you were, you were not as expressive growing up or even the military as you are now. You're right. probably kind of the quiet guy in the corner. Is that a fair thing Absolutely. to say? Most of the time. Yeah. And so 
So that's the other action that you took. You know, you, uh, the, the, the second thing I saw is you, I thanked my life. And this is so important about when we think about when adverse things happen to us. So many people get stuck and they stay stuck. I call it the malaise of mediocrity. You stay there and you get unstuck. You really have to take action. You recognize it. And then you thank your life, which means the adversity is to your advantage if you choose it to be. I call it, sometimes call it the university of adversity. You can learn from it and still take action. And then you then you kind of went against, you know, against your nature to express yourself. And so let's I want to go there on the introspective side and one more layer with you. Then I want to go to what you how you then express yourself. And the layer I want to go with you, you mentioned a little bit ago how you had some really bad experiences with some people who were laying kind of the religious guilt thing on you about your father. And I assume some of that reemerged when you had your own considerations about suicide. And that I apologize to you for, you know, I'm a pastor of a church and I apologize for anything because I hate it when I hear stories like mm-hmm. that, that the church has laid on you or whatever. But I do wonder, I do think that people still have to have a sense of connection to something bigger than self. You know, when we're introspective, sometimes we can go to this place of kind of like, it's all about me or poor me or whatever, that kind of thing. But did you have any connection, Dylan, to anything bigger than self, a connection to a higher power, spirituality, meditation, I don't know, anything along this line? Was this a part of the process for you? Prayer, anything along that line? This is an interesting conversation now, because what what I think might be labeled as traditional faith did not really exist in my in my life throughout, even to this point. But I put so much emphasis on the idea of faith, the value of faith, which is interesting because I'm not religious. I don't, I don't have, I'm an atheist. If you want to call it that, I don't have a belief in God. I don't, I don't feel I need a belief in God, but yet I have a, such a profound respect for faith itself. And so do I look to a higher power? Not necessarily, but I do look to the world as that higher authority, you know, of, of, I look at nature in its, in its entirety as that higher authority as, you know, because I come from war, right? I come from many different kinds of war. And I understand that when you walk out into nature without, you know, you, you disarm yourself with the technology of mankind, what we've created, you are very much an animal when you step out into that realm. And so I have a profound respect for nature. I have a profound respect for humanity itself. I, I will never be the center of my universe, nor will I I necessarily put faith in, you know, and not necessarily, I'm I'm not going to say I won't, but I don't know if I'll ever put, put God at the center of that, of that faith, but I do have faith. And I love to I love to look at other people's faith and be proud of it, right? I'm proud of your faith. I'm happy that you have faith, whether it's in God or yourself or other people, I don't care, right? As long as you have it, that's so, so important. Throughout my life, I've, I've contemplated this, these, this question because it's, it's for everyone to determine on their own. I think, you know, if you want to believe in God, that's your, that's your, that's your right. Some would call it a God-given right if you want to. Others would not, right? It's your it's your belief. And I want, I think what people need to understand is that you can't live a life without faith, but it's 
understanding the value of faith, not understanding the religious idea of faith, I think is the more important understanding here. Yeah. Very fascinating way you're putting this here. You can't live a life without faith. And yet some of the aspects of the framework of faith has been abusive to you. And again, I apologize for that, but I also sense that you are on, you are seeking meaningfulness Mm -hmm. in your life. And parts of that come from connecting with something beyond that, meaning whether it's nature or a sense of, of total humanity, all that kind of thing. And because so many people, I believe, Dylan, have a sense of meaninglessness yeah. in life. And that's what leads to people being destructive, either to themselves or to other people or, you know, to nature. You know, some people want to knock down all the trees or whatever or blow it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what meaninglessness comes when you people just hate themselves and hate others so much. And sense of meaningfulness means you put the values. And I love that you said about the values yeah. there. But you've part of this process then, and I love what you're sharing here today. You really are an introspective guy, and man, you, I find you just fascinating on so many levels. And then, then you chose to write this book, Defy the Darkness, the story of suicide, mental health, and overcoming your hardest battles. And you've certainly have shared what some of those hard battles are. But now I want to talk to you about what are the lessons learned that then are transferable principles to other people. I'm thinking about you know, in the military, for instance, you learn a certain way of doing things with discipline and with with order and so on that, that you have. I'm not a military veteran myself, but I have my own sets of disciplines. And I wonder what you have learned out of your own experience then that you have applied to your own life and then you can apply to others. Perhaps some lessons that you put in, in your book. Dis- I'm thinking about disciplines, habits, routines, application, these type of things. I, I think it all starts with values. You know, and I, I think, okay. you know, I, I, I'm a big, I, I'm a big follower of Jordan Peterson. Doesn't necessarily mean I support everything he does, but I follow what he discusses, and and mm-hmm. he refers to this as ethics. I refer to it as values. I think it's very similar in in, in definition. Yeah. But that was the first thing I really f- found. I think I really developed, and I think I developed it unconsciously with I with starting those rules. Right when I when I first kind of lost my father, I found myself making a rule system, right? And so values undeniably became a piece of my life. When I joined the military, I started to learn that the military had its values, right? Companies have their values. All sorts of people have core values, but it's it's easy to put core values on, you know, a piece of paper and say, these are my core values. It's incredibly yes. difficult to define those values that function for you, right? Not just out of the dictionary, but actually how you apply them. And then it's yes. really difficult to apply what is too much use of this value and what is too little use of this value. Okay. And to understand those boundaries of each value itself defines how you actually start to make decisions in your life, right? And so when I when I really started to dig into this and I really started to develop the idea, it's actually not even in my book, which I talk about values in my book, but it's not in my book how I'm talking about it now. And this is how new it is to me. But one, I think faith is a foundation, right? And so when you have the ability to look at your values that you create, you must have faith in them that they are good for you, right? I can't just look at, you know, Brad, you have the the value of love. 
I can't just look at your value and say, I like that. I'm going to use that, right? It has Mm -hmm. to be, why does love matter to me? How do I define love? How do I define the action of love? And how do I define overusing and underusing it? Because if I overuse love, it's a bad thing. If I underuse love, it's a bad thing, right? So anything then becomes a good or bad thing based on its use. And so if you have faith in it, right, you understand that you must determine how to use it correctly, right? Because so what you're learning has to be to do with a proper or measured application of your values right. and making your values your own, not just taking someone else's values and just saying, okay, I buy into that, but, you know, actually making it your own. Awesome. Yeah. And, and you have to, you have to do the work, right? That's the hard part is like, you can't just go to a class that says, here's a bunch of values. Go ahead and pick which one's, which one's the best one. You have to do the work to understand how to define it for yourself and, and do all the work that goes with it. So that's what you add. This, this kind of the search for meaningfulness through values yeah. is one of the things you advocate to people that you're sharing and yeah, teaching. Absolutely. That they, that they do. How can you, you and so you share this in a, in your oh, yeah. podcast and in your TikTok channel and, and, and in your book. So how important is it for you to share this message and to get the, to have an influence, to have an impact on others who may be going through something akin to what you went through? How important is it you get that message out there? You know, I've, I've asked myself that a lot throughout this, this journey of two years. And I find myself kind of wondering it, right? I don't, I don't place my value as a person in the, in the response to my message, right? It's, it's looking at that, that conceptualization of faith and understanding that I'm trying to do better for what I, for, for the people that didn't have, that don't have what I had, right? Or, or do have access to something that I didn't have, right? And so I'm trying to offer not necessarily what I believe is right, but what I believe can start the conversation within someone where they can determine what's right. You know, I think that was, that was one of my struggles with religion early on is that I was forced into a religion that forced me to accept that what they believed was right. You know, and, and so, you know, not to say religion is a bad thing. It's just that religion has historically probably been taught in a way that is not where we kind of look at things now of like, you get the freedom to determine how you interpret it. Things were, have kind of historically been interpreted for us and fed to us. And I've never enjoyed that. I've never liked that. And I want people to have a different experience. And that's what I try and give. I don't try and tell people that I'm right or wrong. I try and help people understand that I have a voice I have something to share with them and I want them to take what I offer and make their own decisions with it. I want you to create something that's maybe in opposition to me. And I respect that. I want that. I desire that because then you might actually end up teaching me something. So it's not necessarily about getting the message out there. It's about transitioning more people to understand how to think freely and open themselves up to meaning to open themselves up to truth, to honesty, to expression, to all of these things that I really struggled with in my early life that I wish someone had offered me even a glimpse of what I'm talking about. Yeah. 
So what uh, what I'm hearing you say here is just to interject just a tiny bit of theology here, and that is simply that there's kind of a difference between dogma, which is kind of dictated to you yeah. what is right and what's wrong, and free will, which is off, which is what grace is all about. Free will is choosing then to understand yeah. you're loved and accepted regardless. But you choose to you choose that, and but it sounds like this is part of the process and the struggle and the conversation you're having with yourself and with others. And apparently, Dylan, you're touching a nerve out I guess there. so. People are responding. And I'd just like for you to speak for just a second about the impact that is going on with your TikTok channel. I'm fascinated by that. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. medium that I'm just not that familiar with. I'll be honest with you. I've been in podcasting for 10 years. I know you have a podcast. But tell me, I, I'm interested in some responses people have made to you in for, through your book, through your through your TikTok, through your podcast. What are people saying to you? How are they responding to you with your message? Oh, man. I I feel heard. I feel understood. I feel like I want to talk to you. I feel, you know, I've, I've been told I've saved people's lives with videos, you know, like I, I just make content and I try to speak to people in a way that I wish I would have been spoken to, you know, and it's, it's a remarkable thing to just treat people with respect without knowing them, without understanding them, without having them earn it. Right. And, and to see that within people that, maybe historically have never been given a voice, you know, have never been given a platform to speak. I, I think all people, you know, are created equal. I, I, I very much agree with that. Regardless of, you know, physical outcome or physical ability, I, you know, I think people come out into this world having the ability to offer something, right? You have, if you have the ability to offer something, you are equal to anyone, right? And you know, I don't care if you're special needs. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're male, female. I just don't care. You have something to teach people. Yeah. You have something to offer people. And we're something one of the only species that, that desperately take care of things that probably won't survive. And that's a really interesting thought when we, when we think about societies. And I, I think sometimes people think we need to build a society that isn't like that when we just don't have that capacity. We don't mm. want that. Right? We, we take care of people yeah. no matter what. And how we do that now is, is in desperate need of overhaul, I think, because we're, we're trying to leave people behind in some regard, you know, in, in certain situations where we don't have to. You know, if we have the conversation, if we learn how to yeah. speak, we learn how to respect and love and appreciate, we wouldn't have to have conversations that are so, you know, diametrically in, in opposition to each other and so painful. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So much polarization is going on. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I, you've said a couple of things there. I just, just think are so important that the people who you are communicating with and just for context, tell me how many TikTok views have you got? Now, there's a whole bunch here, right? Followers? I've, I've got... Uh, like 582,000, I think as of this morning and then like over 3.8 million likes. And so that's about 10% of how many views I might have. Yeah. So a lot of people have responded through that medium alone, let alone your podcast and your books and so on. But you said something about, I am heard or the the people are saying to you, I am heard. And I, I'm reflecting with you. I did a little bit of a research myself about the, the, every year at the end of the year, uh, Google does a little video, a little synopsis of 
of the search terms that people have searched for in the year 2021, the number one search term was how can I heal, you know? So this tells, that just tells me that there's people really, really hurting. If people are searching, how do I heal? That means somewhere I'm broken or I'm hurt or I'm wounded and I need to heal. And that might have been COVID. It might have been any number of things, but they have that search. And you are obviously uh, coming to a place where people have a need that you were speaking to. And I want to commend you for having the courage to do that and it's just a, an awesome word that you have to share. So, Dylan, how can people, if they want to, if they want to get connected to you, if they want to get your book, they want to, your website, your TikTok, how can people learn more about you and be connected to you? Because I know there's people on our Beyond Adversity audience who are saying, okay, this is a guy I need to find out more about. Because when he said, you know, that uh, I'm heard, I want to be heard as well. Well, I, I mean, you can go to my website. DylanSessler.com and and pretty much find anything you want to know about me. I think the best way to consume my book is through Audible because I, I gave a little bit of extra kind of off script stuff when I read the the script for for the book. I've got a podcast. I'm obviously on TikTok, but if you want to meet me, you know, best way to schedule a schedule a session with me and, and let's go. Let's talk right. about it. Awesome. So he's at DylanSessler.com. That's D-Y-L-A-N-S-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. He's got lots of things on his website to help you get connected. We will also put connections to uh, your resources at our website, DrBradMiller.com. And you can find those on our show notes there. What a fascinating conversation. I just want to thank you again for sharing with our audience here today, Dylan, and wish you well. And I just got a feeling that, that it's just beginning for you, that there is just a world of opportunity because the need is so great for exactly what you're speaking to. And I thank you. And I really, really look forward to seeing what happens next. So very good. Thank you, Brad. All right. Appreciate it. Our guest today on Beyond Adversity, Dylan Sessler, the author of Defy the Darkness. Thank you for being our guest today on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Muller. Thanks to Dylan Sessler for really pouring his heart out uh, to our audience here, to you, my good, my good friends, about his story. You heard his story and you heard some of his process and about he's a big believer that there is a gap between what uh, many people are going through in the mental health system. And a part of what he is doing here is helping to bridge that gap. So let's talk about a couple of practical applications that you can do in your life. First of all, I would just encourage you to go over to his website, DylanSessler.com, D-Y-L-A-N-S-E-S-S-L-E-R.com. And there you can join on his mailing list, but he also has opportunities to get his book, Defy the Darkness. You can find several helpful blog posts there about mental health and suicide prevention. You can also get a free coaching session, especially if you have uh, matters uh, regarding these things that we're talking about here. And you can take advantage of those things. Several other good resources at DylanSessler.com and get his book, Defy the Darkness, and or pass it on as a gift to a friend, someone that you know has this need. Here are the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We're all about meeting needs of people who have had adversity in their life. Sometimes it's very, very serious, like suicide ideation. Other times it's, uh, well, they're all serious, but other times it's other matters of relationships. It might be going through a divorce. We have experts on divorce and relationship here on our podcast. In upcoming episodes, we're going to have episodes about your finances, about debt, 
how that's a big obstacle people have. And other people, we deal with uh, with grief when you lose a loved one. Some other episodes, we deal with uh, health-related things, disease, if you get diagnosed with a life-challenging disease or someone else. All these things can hold us back, can be a problem for us. And we're here to be helpful here on the Beyond Adversity podcast. This episode is brought to you by our coaching program, which is called The 40-Day Way. You can head over to drbradmiller.com slash 40-Day Way for more information about that, where we help you develop your POP, your promised life plan, to get you from being stuck to being unstuck with your written. Please go to, uh, you can always go to drbradmiller.com for over 200 episodes of this podcast, which is designed to help you to grow through what you go through. We're here every week. We'll see you next time on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Until then, my friends, remember to always do all the good that you can. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com. That's drbradmiller.com. Or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose.